Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. Today, I am joined by Jeff Rice. He is uh, one half of the team behind Post Tenenbrass Lux Bible Rebinding. Jeff and his wife, Catherine, started their Bible Rebinding business in 2017 out of Middle Tennessee, and they've been churning out some extremely high quality work ever since. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you too, brother. Uh, Jeff and I kind of got to know each other a little bit um, through the process of you coming to Truth Matters, right? Uh, GTY mm -hmm. conference. Yes, yes. Great experience. Great people. Um, probably the most kindness I've ever been shown was through uh, grace to you. Well, I love to hear that. Well, we just so appreciate you and Catherine and um, just love what you're doing for the kingdom. And I know that the folks there who've had you do work for them, rebinding their Bibles and and all of the uh, the grace that you poured out on our guests was uh, not missed. So thank you, brother. So listen, Jeff, I, I wanted to have you on the show because when I met you and Catherine in Nashville and, you know, got to see firsthand some of the amazing craftsmanship you were pouring into these Bibles uh, and as well, hearing about your process a little bit and how you think through fulfilling the orders and how you time everything out. And then even just the way that you think about your work and calling. Uh, when we started having those conversations, I just knew I needed to have you on. Um, so I want to talk to you about some of those topics. Um, maybe a good place to start is tell us a little bit about Post Ten and Brass Lux Bible Rebinding. Um, explain the name and, and what what makes what you guys are doing unique. Well, I mean, there are several people that have Bible uh, rebinding companies and. Uh, and, and and we were looking into whenever I started a good name and we didn't want the name to reflect me or her at all. We wanted something that would, that would point people to Christ ultimately. And so we just didn't want to have rice rebinding or Jeffrey's Bibles or anything like that. So we wanted something that would, that's much deeper and has, and has great roots, and so we decided to go with post tenebrous lux. I mean, it is one of the models of the Reformation, and um, and when you and when you really look at the name uh, after darkness light, it seems to tell a deeper story than the story that was even told at the Reformation. I mean, we know that at that time, before the Reformation, that the the layman wasn't allowed to have a Bible to read. And then because of the Protestant Reformation, we now are allowed to read Bibles. And now we're living in such a light of an abundance of, of Bibles. I think we're, I feel like we can be placed under such a great judgment because of the light that we're in and the availability that we have with the scriptures that we need to read our Bibles. And we want to make Bibles so nice that once you hold them, you don't want to put them down. Even when you're not reading, I find myself not even reading. I'm just watching TV, holding my Bible because it's so nice. But, but, but you can go all the way back to creation and everything because of the fall of man, there's darkness. But because of Christ, now there's light. So after darkness, there is light. And so that's kind of the whole framework that we were going to. Uh, you were dead in your sins but Christ has raised you up you know so the post tenebrous luck story is all throughout scriptures and we just wanted to point people to Christ we didn't want to we, we, we just didn't want it to do anything with me because I know I fail at many things 
and and and, and I think Christ has used this this name to to grow the business actually. Oh, well, praise God for that. So, Jeff, how about uh, can you give us a condensed version of your testimony and you know how that led into you even doing Bible rebinding? Yeah, so I grew up a uh, very poor family, and uh, we we moved around a lot, and uh, like I just would switch schools all the time, and uh, I can remember switching schools like six times in one year, like it was just it was crazy. Um, and then when I got became a teenager, I got a uh, I got robbed and beat up at gunpoint at fourteen, and then the next day I got involved with a gang at fifteen. I was kicked out of school, and so I, and once I got kicked out of school, I started working full time in roofing. So I'd been doing roofing 25 years, and I woke up one morning to go to work, and I passed out. And I, you know, I, I once I came to, I stood back up, and I passed out again. And I started screaming for my wife. I didn't know what was going on, and so they took me to the hospital. And uh, I just, every time I would move, I would change from one position to another, I would pass out. Whether if I was sitting up to lay down, I'd pass out, or laying, laying down to sit, just sit up, I would just pass out, lose all consciousness. The doctors didn't know what was going on. Well, it turns out that I have positional vertigo. And then they started digging into my past and realized that I had PTSD. And, um, and, and and once I started looking into PTSD, I can remember at 14 having the symptoms. Uh, I mean, I, I just had a real crazy childhood. And, uh, and the doctor saw me just fiddling with my hands. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's from where I've just worked all my life. Like, like I always got to have something to do with my hands. And the doctor said that I needed some kind of a hobby. And so I started looking into rebinding. But, but still, I was trying to find a job, and, and uh, I just couldn't find a job, man. Like, like I said, I got kicked out of school at 15. I don't really have an education. I mean, uh, and, and God just started blessing this rebinding, man. I just started posting pictures on Facebook and stuff like that. And the next thing I know, people wanted to buy them, and, uh, and we just took a leap of faith and bought some equipment some real nice leather and a started a business. That's amazing. And you, you didn't like, it's not like Bible rebinding or even leather work was in your past, right? You didn't like apprentice under somebody. You're, you just completely self-taught in this craft, right? Yeah, completely. Um, I did root, like I said, I did roofing 25 years, but I was a master that copper smith like I could just form copper around chimneys or around anything and I would just start I just would hold a bible and I would just picture it like I would a chimney and I was thinking I could do this and I just started and my, my, my very first few I mean they looked awful <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I, I just would I mean I would literally pray and cry like a grown man I was praying and crying as I was entering this craft because like I said man I, I could not find a job I applied for a trucking school I went for my physical and they had me to lay back on the bed and I had to stand up real quick and I passed out against the wall like I was I didn't have nowhere to go man 
Wow. And it was either if, if, if God didn't bless this, I wasn't going to be able to feed my family. And you, do you still have the positional vertigo? Do you still deal with that? Yes. Uh, probably about uh, five months ago, I, I passed out and hit my uh, face on the ground and knocked myself out real bad. And I couldn't walk, uh, I couldn't walk good for about three or four weeks. But then the, the last spell I had was last week. Um, yeah, man, I can just, I'll, I'll just fall over, man. It's luckily it hasn't happened in, in public. Um, uh, it's been behind closed doors at my house, but. And it's, it's just, just if you're in a, in a, if your body's in a strange position or you're leaned over weird, like, what does it mean that it's positional? I just change from one position to another. Um, so if I'm laying down and I have to get up real fast. It don't always happen. A lot of it has to do with the PTSD. Mm -hmm. So whenever uh, I start to get dizzy, if the PTSD starts to uh, to react to it, my brain will just shut off. Hmm. So is the trick yeah. just to move really slow when you're moving from one position to another? Yeah, kinda. And it also can happen with a with with, with a uh, like say if I'm in a, a a car and it's you know it's really cold in my car, but I get out and it's like ninety degrees, I can like it can uh, happen then too, just with a change of uh, body temperature. Man, yeah, it's it it really it really it, it it's hard to deal with, but uh, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, in in the Lord's providence, like you could still be on a roof right now. Obviously, you don't you don't want to have this affliction in your life. You didn't ask for it and you'd probably be happy to be free of it. But I always find it fascinating, especially with um, physical illnesses and things that how the Lord uses that in our lives to guide us towards uh, often things that are much better for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you some questions about your process um, back with the Bible rebinding. It just, it fascinates me because, you know, after talking with you, I was looking at my Bible and I was looking at the different components of it. You know, you've got, you've got a source of leather. You have to find, uh, you had to figure out how to do stitching. Um, I know that with the actual binding on the, on the back, there's a whole, there's stitching, there's glue, there's all these different aspects to it. So did you just kind of reverse engineer each one of those processes one by one? You said, okay, let's figure out how to stitch this thing. How did you even go about figuring this out? Yeah. Uh, so after about the 20th Bible, my wife got on board. Uh, like I said, I, I had spent uh, about $250 on a really nice Bible. And I was looking at it. I told her I could make this. And, you know, she didn't believe me. and. Uh, but after about the 20th one, she was like, you can really do this. And, <laughs> and so, so once she got on board and like, she's really handy too. So she grew up stitching and stuff like that. And so, and she's really smart. Uh, like, like, she, like she's a lawyer. Well, was she, she, she has recently quit her job and she's full time with the business now. Uh, so she, she's really good with crafts. She's really good on the internet. Uh, she can Google anything and find it. And uh, so I, I just started putting her to work, you know, I was like, I need to learn how to do hand stitching. And she, she figured uh, the saddle stitching out and she taught me how to do the stitching. And uh, she does all the uh, sourcing of leathers. 
uh, she's in charge of uh, finding the leather. All I do now is I make covers and put and put the Bibles together. So she's able to take care of all the, like the logistics and the back office stuff and all that, and just make sure you have all the materials you need, right? Yes, and and now she does the majority of the stitching, uh, just because I just don't have time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do, I, I still do hand stitching, but she does the majority of it. So mm. if, if if I produce twenty Bibles uh, in a two week period, I probably hand stitch three to five. Gotcha. Well, talk to me a little bit about that, the process. I found this interesting when we were talking um, in Nashville, you know, you, there's a lot of different aspects to getting a new cover on an old Bible. And that's, that's most of what you do, right? You, you take other people's, people send in their Bibles and you rebind them, send them back. I know you do some, you do new ones too, but is the majority of the work still um, taking old Bibles and rebinding them? Well, I wouldn't say old. People are, are buying brand new Bibles and sending them to us. Oh, really? Yes. That uh, makes so sense. I would say yeah. right now, it's, I would say it's 50-50 right now uh, between the two. Gotcha. And so w- talk us through your process. You You get a Bible. You get it in hand. Do you... I know that they're all different. You have different leathers, different, you know, features to them, but do you, do you do one Bible start to finish or do you kind of chunk the processes? Do you do all the stitching and then like, what does that look like start to finish on a Bible and what kind of volume do you do? Like how many Bibles in a week, that kind of stuff. Well, um, I, I was doing one Bible start to finish and it would take me about eight to 10 hours. And that was with hand stitching. That's before my wife, uh, quit her job and came to work for the business, I was still doing the majority of the stitching. And so, it, you know, so I was able to only produce five Bibles, six at most a week. I mean, I, 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 like I only had just like a little spot to work in, but then we decided to convert our living room into office space to where I would have a bigger area and I wouldn't have to keep breaking things down and setting things up. And so I started just trying to make the covers and so from monday to the following tuesday i do nothing but make covers i, I can and by doing it that way i can get around three covers sometimes four covers a day all right and then wednesdays i stamp and it takes me it takes me up to about 12 hours to stamp like you know the spine stamping to put the holy bible ESB, NASB, my logo, and stuff on the cover. Mm-hmm. So it takes me uh, about 12 hours to stamp. And then Thursday, Friday, and, and part of the next day of that Saturday, I uh, fix the spines of the Bible, and then, uh, and then I uh, bind it together. So you're working on two-week cycles then, huh? Yes. And then but it starts all over. This way. Yeah, but by doing it this way, I'm able to produce double, maybe even over double. Because I was doing, uh, I can get 10 done a week doing it the way I am now versus I was doing it, I was only getting five done. Uh, I'm averaging around 20 to 24 every two weeks. Wow. And that's basically just you with some help from Catherine with the stitching. 
Yes. I mean, it's not like you have a team of people. It's just you, you and Catherine in there. Yes. Uh, we have been trying to hire and do apprentice with, but, uh, you know, like we just live in a world where people don't want to work, man. I mean, it, it's actual, it, it is actual physical labor. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't, I'm not sure I'd like it because I've, I've roofed for so long. Like I, I love having to just work, you know, mm -hmm. uh, doing something with my hand, operating machines and stuff like that. You know, when I, when I think about you and, and the work you do, uh, you know, first Thessalonians 4.11 always comes to mind, you know, aspire to live, a, live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. I imagine that that verse has popped into your head more than one time. How do you how do you think about your work? It's actual manual, like manual with the the root word. You know, it means hand. It's manual labor. You're working with your hands. Um, do do you find in working with your hands something? Is it especially gratifying? I know for me, I, I you know most of my work is on a computer. You know, I'm looking at a flickering screen all day. And I love to come home and work around the house, whether it's yard work or, or fixing something. And, you know, I, I just, it feels like the Lord has, has made us to work with our hands and there's a special satisfaction in that. Uh, do you feel that? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I have tried jobs that I didn't have to do manual labor. And again, like you said, when I got home, I would, just be trying to find something to build. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so I've always had two aspects in, in, of my life. Like I've, I've always been an artist and I've always been in construction and with, and with Bible rebinding, I have been able to put the two together. So uh, like normally when I would get off of work, I would draw paint or, or, or do something like that. Like I was just, I, I, I wanted to be artistic. Mm -hmm. and, and so now throughout my day I'm doing both and so whenever I get off like when I'm when I get off work I feel satisfied I don't know if that's the right word to use but I just feel like I've I feel like I've done something and not only for myself uh but for the Lord I feel like I've I've, I've worked and uh I'm you know I, I I just feel like I'm doing something like I'm supposed to mm -hmm. When you think about your work and, and how the Lord has prepared you for it and, and even how your interests and passions kind of uh, intersect with doing this, what, do you believe that you're called to be a Bible rebinder? How do you think about that? I do. And I do for this reason, because of uh, my upbringing and because of what I've done for a living. Uh, like I said, I, 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 at one time I was a tattoo artist. Uh, it was too dark of a world for me, so I got out of it. Uh, I had been doing roofing 25 years. And in and, and the, and the same process that I would go about roofing a house, that's the same process I do when I cut into a Bible and, uh, and, and I prepare the cover for me to, uh, to construct. The same way that I would mark off a roof, I mark off my covers the exact same method I used my whole life in roofing and in flashing chimneys is the same method I go about doing these Bibles. I mean, and, and, 
and like I said, there's other Bible rebinders out there, and they have their own method. It's they do not do. I do not do anything the same way that they do it, because I feel like the background I had had led me to do things different. The the construction process. I guarantee my Bibles for life. If anything happens to them, I replace them. Uh, the leather I use gives a shelf life for over a hundred years. Uh, and so, like, I'm just, I'm doing it as a, uh, like, I feel like it, it, it is my calling because of my life experiences. Uh, some of the best uh, entrepreneurs have been people that have grown up and had nothing. You know, like, I know what it's like to not eat. <laughs> I, know what, I, I know the struggle, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. uh, and it drives me to want to, to, you know, I don't want my daughter to never have that. Or my sons never have to have that feeling. Yeah, it and, puts uh, the hustle been, into you, doesn't it? Yeah, it puts the hustle. I mean, I've always had a great work ethic. I mean, that's that's one of the things about me. Uh, like all my friends, even like in my gangbanging years, when I was you know running the streets, like all my friends, I'm st I still know the ones that are not dead. I know them very well, and they're they don't have jobs, you know. And I'm not saying this to my glory or or to their shame. The, uh, they don't have jobs that they were never made to work. My dad made me work. I was, you know, I feared my father. He made me work. I wasn't scared of no other man, but I didn't mess with my father. And he made me work. He he he, he instilled in me, or uh, uh, you know, if I want something, I got to get out and get it because no one's gonna give it to me. And so, like, I just feel like the, the road that God has had me on my whole life because He is sovereign that it has prepared me for this moment in time. And uh, I get up every morning, it, even if I don't feel good, I wanna be in here working, because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a man and I need to provide for my family. And, 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 and there's a verse that really has haunted me in that, if, you, know, if you know, if a man don't work, he don't eat. But also if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. And I can tell people all day about Jesus Christ. But man, if I'm not providing for my family, what am I saying? I think that's so, a needed message in our day. You know, yes. a, a, lot, a lot of, especially young people, work is almost anathema to them. If the, the, the goal is to try to avoid it as much as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And man, I, I tell you, like I've tried different routes and I, I've tried to do other things in ministry. And, uh, and, and, and I still do other things in ministry, you know, uh, but I feel like what I'm doing is, is for God. It's what he has me doing. I mean, the testimonies that we get, and again, I'm not trying to take my own horn, but the testimonies that we get about the Bible is how people say they, they're reading their Bibles more because of, because of the cover. <laughs> well, it sounds silly, right? But I, I just told you that uh, I, I sit in bed at night watching TV, holding my Bible because it, 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 I don't know, it just feels so good, and it mm -hmm. just makes you want to hold it more and read it. I, I guess it it makes sense. I mean, I think about when in the mornings I have a spot where I read my Bible, and I, all of the. Um, I don't know the ambiance around that. I always have a cup of coffee and I have, I have the lights set a certain way. There is, you know, we're integrated creatures. We're not just a uh, disembodied brains. 
um, floating in jars, right? So like the Lord has made us all of those different tactile sensations and all of that. It does uh, help us even in our sinful flesh to sort of, I don't know, make the process itself more pleasurable. You're holding a quality Bible, a, a, a cover that does justice to the contents of the thing you're holding. Absolutely. I mean, you and I both could go and buy a flip phone for a hundred bucks. All right. But we, I guarantee you, you're just like me and you got a thousand dollar phone because you want something nice. Mm -hmm. And man, I, I just want to uh, wrap the word of God in something nice, something that's going to last, outlast you. And you'll be able to give it to your children and your grandchildren because these things will last. And, you know, just think about, you know, the, the message that you can uh, pass on to your kids, knowing that you're not giving them a Bible that's falling apart, but something that's going to, you know, outlast them also. I mean, these are uh, high-end Bibles. They're high-end. And, yes, they're expensive. But we can't forget we, we buy a cell phone that's uh, $1,000 every two years. <laughs> <laughs> and these Bibles will last you the rest of your life. <laughs> That's a great point. Well, you know, there's like a, a rich history of family Bibles in the church. You yes. know, it seems like we've kind of gotten away from that. Um, and it's probably driven by the publishing industry and the, and the need to sell more Bibles. And so the quality goes down. But, you know, it used to be you had a family Bible. You know, you had births and deaths in the front of it. And you know, that was passed down through the generations, but most of the Bibles you buy off the shelf nowadays, they're going to fall apart within 10, 20 years. And that's why a lot of them, I do a lot of Bibles like that. You know, uh, I think a true tone Bible would last me mm, maybe five years. I doubt it. It depends. Like if I was just reading out of one, two years, but if I was you know, if I had several different Bibles I was reading from, I get five or ten years out of it. You know, one good way to preserve a Bible is just never to open it. That's that's my oh, trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend it. Yeah. And we're also living in a world where technology, where people have Bible apps, and and they would rather uh, they would rather be on the app. And uh, like whenever we first started our business, and I was telling my wife. Because, you know, like this is something scary. And I've had people mention this to me, that, that the people don't want to read from, from a paper Bible anymore. And, uh, and I remember uh, I listened to Dr. White a lot, Dr. James White. And I remember him saying that he doesn't read from a paper Bible anymore. But before he said this, I was telling my wife, I was like, look, all we got to do is get one of our Bibles in James White's hand, you know. I didn't think it was like too far out of reach, but I was just saying, because James White, you know, like, you know, it, it, everybody listens to him, whether you love him or hate him, <laughs> they listen to him. And, uh, and I mean, he's just like one of the loudest speaking theologians, not loud as in, uh, as he speaks loud, but that he, he kind of has an opinion for the controversy. And so, and, and I just knew that, you know, and God was using James White. He's used him in my life, you know, to, to, to help straighten me out, as well as Dr. MacArthur. I, I would say uh, James White and Dr. M Dr. MacArthur are, have, have shaped my theological view. And I just knew if I could get a Bible in James White's hand because of his viewers on the divine line, 
that God was going to bless us. But then he, when he said that he didn't use a physical Bible, like it broke my heart. Mm. But lo and behold, when James White saw one of our Bibles on the internet, he had to have one. And he uses his physical Bible now. And so a lot of people tell me that we're living in a world where people don't read from physical Bibles anymore. And it's because of the quality of the Bibles. They don't don't make them to last. Like I said, if you get a Bible, one of our Bibles, or there's other, like I said, I'm not taking my own, there's other rebinders out there. There's other good quality Bibles out there. But man, it just something about a Bible that's going to last and with goat skin, lamb skin, whatever. That man, it just does something, man. It's different. Yeah, it, it adds to the experience of it. And, and that Absolutely. is something. Yeah, I found, you know, just speaking personally, um, my biggest it's it's app it's definitely easier in one sense to open up a bible app on your phone and i'm not anti-bible app i i work on one as part of my work at gty and so i think there is a advantage to having them but one of the disadvantages especially for personal devotions is you have the entire world at your fingertips when you're holding that phone or that ipad or whatever and the potential for distraction is massive you know a notification goes off even if it doesn't the background noise in your own brain of i should check twitter oh well let me see what's going on over on facebook um that's distracting and for me one of the things i started doing in the mornings because i was finding it so hard to want to read my bible because i would just be like well let me check let me just check social media real quick and then you know an hour later i need to get ready for work and i haven't read the bible so I just started leaving my phone on my nightstand in, in the bedroom. And when I come out, my Bible's just sitting there and I just read that. And mm. lo and behold, this probably seems obvious to most people, but I started reading more. You know, I'd sit down with the open Bible, no electronics, no nothing to distract me, open Bible, cup of coffee, and just read and read and read and read and read and read. And I feel like I got so much more out of it and so much more... Um, yeah, it, I just wasn't distracted. I could just focus on the Word of God. And I, I think that's, that is one of the dangers with electronic um, Bibles. We have to be careful that uh, even though we can get more resources in a tiny device, there is something to be said about that tactile, physical experience of reading God's Word and just having that be the only thing occupying your attention. Yes, if, if, if you're having a time, uh, what people would call a quiet time, your daily devotion, whatever you want to call it, you need to read from a physical Bible. Um, when, if you're preparing for sermons and stuff like that, having Bible apps are good. And I use the U version, and I, I, post a, I post scripture every day on my, on my Facebook page. You know, so there is a place for the Bible app. And, and stuff like that but man if you're going to sit down i mean i mean because one of the ways of, of communicating with god two ways uh, you read his word and you pray you know if you want to hear what god has to say you read his word if you want to speak to him you pray and you don't need any distractions when it comes to those two things i think with a lot of a lot of folks they wonder they think about the whole thing of like what what should i be doing with my life you know how can i best serve the lord uh, what do i how could I, you know, they might be listening to this and be like, man, I wish I, 
I had that sort of confidence in the work that I'm doing that Jeff has, that it's from the Lord and, and it's really what I've been made for. How would you counsel a believer who's just wondering, how, what should I do with my life vocationally? What should I do for work? How can I best honor the Lord? What, what principles would you give them? Well, um, like I try to govern myself off the will of God. And uh, John MacArthur has a real good sermon on the will of God. But like everyone else, I, I, I wanted to know, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, and the Bible speaks a lot about the will of God for our sanctification. And like, like it speaks a lot about the will of God, but it doesn't say, hey, Jeff, go and do this. <laughs> yeah. So it's, and so everyone has that struggle of, of what they're supposed to be doing in life. And, uh, and for the last couple of years, I've been going off of a, a process of, of knowledge, passion, and opportunity. And I want the three to meet. I don't want to have the knowledge and the opportunity, but not the passion. Because if I have the knowledge to do something and the opportunity to do it, but, but I don't have the passion to do it, although I can do it, I won't do it well. And the same thing with knowledge. If I have a passion for it, like, like there's plenty of pastors who preach at churches that have a passion and an opportunity, but they don't have the knowledge to be an elder. They haven't been properly taught. And although they're, they're in the vocation and they're, uh, and, and they're raising people up, more could be done uh, that they could feed them greater food of the word of God and, instead of uh, talking about their cats and dogs. And so I feel, I feel like these three things have to meet. For most of my life, I've had knowledge and passion, but not the opportunity. You know, I've always had a great passion, but opportunity is something I've never really had. And so when someone asks me to do something, I, 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 ask, me, I ask myself those three questions. Do I have the knowledge? Do I have a passion for it? And do I have an opportunity? And if all three are not there, I say no. I can't do it. There was a time whenever I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, because I do street preaching, and um, and I was complaining because I was a single dad for a long time. My, uh, my daughter's mom, I was married, and she had walked away from the marriage and uh, left me with the baby. Uh, Trinity was five months old. Her mom had left to be with somebody else, and I was left with a baby. And she, she took everything but the baby. <laughs> Our house was empty, just me and the baby. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, you know, and I was, uh, I was preaching at the jails at the time, uh, doing jail ministry, and I was preaching on the streets. And, uh, and I wanted to keep doing that. But I had this little girl that I had to take care of. And so I had a passion and the knowledge, but I did not have the opportunity. I didn't have babysitters. Uh, my father, my mother, my brother had passed. I have a sister. She lives pretty far away. Like, I just didn't have nobody in my life. And I had to come to the conclusion that that's just not where God has me at the moment. Yeah, I want to go out and witness and, 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 do, and do that stuff. But I had to say no whenever people would invite me to go out and preach. I didn't want to say no. But I had to. 
because my daughter had to be the first part of my ministry. That's wise counsel. Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, that's the hard thing, I think, for people is you have good, even great opportunities put before you or, or things that you could be doing to serve the Lord. But sometimes you just you have to say no to even good stuff. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, my family is my first uh, means of vocation. You know, I have to train my child up in the way of the Lord. You know, it, 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 if I can get millions of people saved, but I don't tell my, and I don't preach Christ and live Christ before my family. man, what does that say about me? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so I had to, again, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wanted to be, and it could have been my flesh, you know, the, lots of people preach in their flesh. And, uh, and I'm not saying that I wasn't doing that. I don't know, you know, I know that I want to, I want to, I want to preach Christ to anyone that'll listen. Not saying I pastor, I, I don't feel like that's, I'm not there. I'm not wishful thinking. <laughs> But I wanted to, you know, to be involved, you know, I mean, I, I mean, if you look at me, I look like I belong in jail. <laughs> this, is my, this is my look. And uh, whenever I was in the jails preaching, man, I had great fruit. And when I, when I, when I get on the street preaching, man, there's great fruit, man. I, I, I'm able to draw a crowd, you know, and, uh, and I was just looking at that stuff saying, man, I need to be out there. <laughs> but then I have this little girl. That needs a dad, and she needs me to be at home with her. And so I, I had to govern not off of my passion, but off the opportunity that I had. And to add it together, I had a knowledge to be a father. That was, you know, I didn't, you know, it's just laid on me. I had to learn how to be a father. And I had, I have a passion for my children. And God has given me the opportunity. And so I knew at those moments I needed to be a dad. I didn't need to be in the jails preaching at that at that time. Uh, r- right now, an opportunity is coming up for me to get back into the jails, and uh, and I'm probably going to take that opportunity because I am now married uh, to a good woman that loves my kids, and you know <laughs> maybe there's time for uh, maybe I can get back and doing some stuff. Yeah, man, that's really helpful advice. Jeff, what about you personally? You know, this is kind of the focus of this podcast is on productivity and, you know, doing what we're doing with our lives to how we steward them for God's glory. And I think a big aspect of that, obviously, is our work. That's where we spend so much of our time. We've touched on family. Um, but what about, you know, you personally, about inner life stuff? Um, what's, what's a typical morning look like for you? I usually wake up around 6 anywhere from six to seven and uh, get ready for work at lunchtime. Usually we'll eat together as a family and uh, have a family worship. And then after family worship, I'll, I will uh, read the Bible. Uh, I was doing, you know, I started out like 10 chapters a day. Then I moved myself to six, but because of the time I'm, I'm down to three chapters a day. And then as I work, I listen to the Bible. Uh, I've been known to go through the Bible every four weeks, just listening to it. And uh, I listen to good books on uh, the, the audio book. I listen to books 
listen to Grace to You. Uh, John MacArthur goes through uh, so many books of the Bible, verse by verse. Like I just, I listen to great preaching. I just try to fill my mind with God. Uh, whenever we have our family worship, we we start out with a with a song, and then we read a catechism. We go through the catechisms. And uh, so we'll, we'll do a catechism, one catechism question for a whole week, question and answer, and the verse that goes with it. And then we'll have another song, uh, and then we'll pray together. Uh, as the kids get older, we'll go more in depth through the teaching. And then when I get off of work, we, we eat together as a family. And after that, I'm, I'm just like, everybody leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> And so I just hibernate into, uh, I mean, like, like as I'm working, I'm really not able to, uh, to do any kind of internet. I work with my hands. Yeah. You're like fully engaged. Yeah. And so people are always reaching out to me, wanting to talk or sending me messages. And so I don't get to answer any of those messages until after I get off of work, you know, after I get off of work, after family time stuff like that that's got to be a huge advantage of being able to work out of the home is that you get to be with your your family and you have those opportunities to have lunch together and you know do family worship together and not just before and after work but in the middle of what for a lot of people would be the traditional work day that's a blessing yeah. huh yeah it, yeah it's definitely a blessing uh i know we get on each other's nerves so <laughs> but uh, it's definitely a blessing and uh, what's the future for post Tenebras Lux? Or, it sounds like you you are pretty full with uh, with orders, and I know that you guys are are branching out into other things too. You've done some journals, right? And I think I saw some Christmas ornaments you'd made. Uh, are you hoping to expand your efforts? You'd mentioned you're looking maybe to bring on an apprentice. What yeah. What's your kind of so, vision for the future? So again, I just kind of. I read the Bible a lot and I just try to govern myself off of the words of scripture. And, uh, and I don't know where God's going to take this business. Uh, if 20 years I'm in a basement doing this by myself, uh, solidio gloria, you know, uh, I would, I would have, I, I, you know, that's, the, that's a hundred percent fine with me. Um, God is blessing my business. And, um, and if he wants to continue to do so, I I want I want to be in the right position for it to 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 grow. So uh, there's a verse. Well, there's a parable where he talks about uh, the talents. You know, he gave one person a talent, and another person five talents, and then another one ten talents. And the one with ten talents doubled. The one with five talents doubled, and the one with one talent buried. And uh, and I might be the guy that he gave one talent to, and I do not want to bury this. Uh, I want to double it, you know. If, if, if God has given me this blessing, and I sure don't want it to just bless me. Uh, so I'm looking at the moment to, again, it, 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 and this is a big reason why I didn't want to call it Jeff's Bibles or, or something like that. I don't want my face to be the face of it. I want it to be pointing to Christ. And so 
uh, I want to hire and train and expand. And I eventually, if, if God continues to bless us, I want to produce our own text blocks. I want to be able to uh, design my own Bibles. Uh, so you mean the, the actual, the paper and how the text is laid out on it? That's what you mean by text block? Yes, yes. Um, being in the Bible world, uh, I know what people want. I know what the, uh, the kind of paper they want, the outlines they want. Uh, and man, I, I think I can produce a Bible. I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and say it that outdoes any other Bible. <laughs> I just think I can do it. You know, I feel like God has given me that grace. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, a, I'm an artist and, uh, and, and, and I'm a construction worker. My Bibles will last, period. They, they will last. And God has, has gave me knowledge of this business and what people want. And if he is willing to, to grace me with an opportunity to, to produce our own text blocks, they are going to be the greatest text blocks uh, uh, that's come out. I mean, I'm just saying it. I just, I just believe that we can produce the best Bible out there. It's apparent that you, you pour your heart and soul into this. This is anything but just a job for you. No, yeah, it's absolutely not a job. <laughs> <laughs> You'd do it for I, I free if it. you could, wouldn't you? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, I love it, man. And, and again, I don't want it to just bless me. I want to be able to provide jobs so men and women can provide for their families. Like, I, I, I think that's the, the greater good in this is that, is that although the world seems like the Bibles are dying out, they're not. I can show you my backlog. They're not. I, it takes us two hours a day to answer messages. I mean, like, people want good quality Bibles. They want them. And uh, this business, as long as God keeps grace in me, is going to grow. Um, Jeff, how can people keep up with uh, Post Tenebras Lux? Uh, how can they see some of your work or even place an order if they wanted to have you rebind their Bible? What's the best place for them to go? So you can find us on Facebook.com, Post Tenebras Lux Bibles. Uh, our, email, our, our, our contact email is contact at ptlbiblerebinding.com. And our, uh, our website is ptlbiblerebinding.com. But we're on Twitter, uh, Instagram. So most any social media outlet, I try to be on there and post pictures. Uh, just uh, if you want a Bible, you just contact us and uh, ask for an order form. And we'll hook you right on up. Yeah, and you guys got to check out the uh, the Facebook page and just look at some of those pictures. Um, I don't know if it's right to drool over a Bible, but I have found myself doing that. It's incredible work and beautiful craftsmanship um, and a lot of variety. A lot goes, too. Yeah, a lot goes into it, man. Uh, you know, like it's, it, it, we're not massly producing them. We're, I'm just one Bible at a time and uh, put my heart and soul into it. 
Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time and, and being on with us today. Um, th- this has been really fun and I hope very beneficial to people who are listening to it. Really appreciate you, brother. Man, I appreciate you, man. It was uh, an honor and a pleasure to meet you, to have this conversation. I pray that it serves the church. Well, brother, I look forward to talking with you again soon. Yeah, man. Thank you so much.